we come to the second reading of Scripture, the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It's on page 885 of your Pew Bible. We're going to read verses 13 through 35. Um, We do have, if if you uh, speak Spanish, uh, we have notes for you that are in English and Spanish uh, to to be of help during uh, the sermon. If if you desire that, all you have to do is go in the back, or Cinnamon's got one, just go find her, and she'll give it to you. Okay, so I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. That very day, two of the disciples were going to a village called named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak to us in the reading of your word and now in the preaching of your word so that we might have hearts that are burning with joy 
from Christ Jesus and our knowledge of him. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, there's a show you might have seen. It's called Undercover Boss. And in that show, has anyone seen that show? In Undercover Boss, you know, you've got a corporate environment and along comes the boss uh, who everyone kind of knows, at least on a CEO kind of level. And the boss uh, somehow disguises himself through, through a professional disguise and he shows up and he, and he, he spends time alongside of, of his employees, but they don't know it's him. And he learns a lot, of, a lot about them. But, but the main thing I remember from the show is that by the end, when, when the boss suddenly reveals himself and says, it was me all along, here I am, and I was working lo- right alongside you, and I was learning the, the trade and the ropes of what you do, suddenly they actually learn a lot about their boss. And everyone at the end is just come from uh, being a stranger to this boss, the CEO, to suddenly really understanding him and knowing his heart. Isn't that something, at least a shadow of what we see here in our text, where Jesus, you could say, uh, goes incognito, goes undercover to meet with two of his disciples. And this is immediately after he is raised from the dead and and that empty tomb is discovered. And, And Luke leaves us several weeks ago. We are left with that big question mark. When are people going to see Jesus? They found the empty tomb, but when will they see Jesus? And doesn't he kind of, uh, for a while, torture us, you know, make us wait. You know, oh, I, I just can't wait till the disciples actually see Jesus. And he says, well, wait, wait just a minute. He makes us wait and he makes us lean in and he makes us walk, as it were, with these disciples on that long road from burdened hearts to learning hearts and to burning hearts that are filled with a knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's no CEO. He's the risen son of God. And it takes them a while to learn that, doesn't it? Well, I want us to join Cleopas and his companion. Some say it was uh, his wife. We don't know. Maybe this was a, a couple in the early church. But we know there's Cleopas and another disciple. And Jesus joins them on the road. Let's walk. Let's put on our hiking boots and walk those seven miles and see what they learn. Of Jesus. And it all begins with burdened hearts. You see that, right? A heavy weight hangs over this walk. It's, it's not so much, you know, a leisurely walk. It's more like a funeral march, right? The heaviness of Jesus' death just hangs over the road, every step that they take. And Cleopas and his companion, um, it's summed up really in this, uh, this place in verse 17, they stood still looking sad. Doesn't that just capture where they're at at the beginning of this walk? The seven miles begin with heavy hearts. So much hope that they had. And they say this, we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one. We had hoped that he was finally going to put an end to our misery here under Roman oppression and, under, under, and that he was actually going to redeem Israel from all of its problems. And yet there's so much disappointment. They see this, this one in which they put so much hope crucified, nailed to a Roman cross, put into the tomb. 
And, and as Jesus is put into the tomb, it's like their hope is deferred in their hearts and it makes them sick. And so the, the heavy hearts of verse 21 lead to doubtful hearts of verse 24. They heard the report from the women about the empty tomb. And, and at first that you know, like piques their interest. Well, what's this all about? This is weird. But then it's the doubt that weighs even more heavily on them, isn't it? Where they say, but that just sounds too good to be true. They went to the tomb and we went there too, but him we did not see. And so it's doubt that kind of hangs over the air as Jesus comes and walks alongside them and they just can't get past the death of Jesus. How can crucifixion fit into God's plan? How can suffering be part of all this? Jesus is supposed to be defeating pagans and, and their powers, not dying by their hands. This feels to them like the end of a story, not, not the beginning of a glorious hope. And so they are gripped by this unbelief. Jesus says it in his own, own words. They are foolish, slow to heart to believe. And friends, this is why they can't recognize Jesus. You ever wonder as you're reading this? Wait, hang on. They know Jesus. They talked with him. They, uh, they spent so much time with him. So why is it that Jesus comes along the road and they can't see him? Is it because they're so sad they're looking down and they don't look and see that it's Jesus? Maybe that's part of it. Is it because Jesus' resurrection body has been changed? Maybe that's part of it. But, but, but what this text really points us to see is that they can't recognize Jesus because they are gripped by this deep unbelief in their hearts and that God himself is, it's like he's, he's doing to their, to their eyes what, they, what has happened to the hardness of their hearts, right? Spiritual cataracts are, are hanging over their hearts so that they cannot believe that Jesus has really been raised from the dead and that his crucifixion was part of God's grand plan. And so that same, the same spiritual cataracts that, that are hard over their hearts are also blinding their eyes to see that this is Jesus right next to them. They were gripped by unbelief. And, and friends, this can happen to us too. I want you to see that we find ourselves time and time again on the Christian walk, on our journey, gripped by unbelief, Burdened hearts. When does this happen? It happens when God doesn't fulfill our hopes and expectations exactly like we think he should, right? That's, it's at that time when we're most tempted to believe all is lost. And, you know, somehow God has a plan, but, but we're just, we live as if we are burdened. We're slow, so slow to believe that suffering is really part of the gospel equation, right? We can mentally acknowledge that Jesus had to suffer. It was necessary that he be crucified and then rise again. But then when, when God puts suffering in our life, when he allows us, as it were, as he permits suffering to enter our life, we say, well, we're in a tailspin. What, what does this have to do with God's plan? And we start to doubt and we start to be burdened. And God feels cold and distant and Jesus feels like a stranger to us. Isn't that what can happen so often on our walk? 
some stumbling block, and usually it is, suffering in our life, a cross, the shape of a cross of Christ, imprinted on our life, and suddenly we're, we're slow of heart to believe. But notice what Jesus does to those that are burdened on their journey. He comes close. Do you see that? But Jesus came near to them. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does when we don't recognize him in our life, right? You say, where, where is Christ in this? I don't, I don't feel him. And the scriptures say, if that's where you're at, you're at the very place where Jesus comes near. He is not a, he might feel like a stranger to us, but he is not a stranger to those who by faith are struggling with doubt and struggling with heavy hearts and confused by what's God, what God is doing in our lives. Jesus came close. Is that an encouragement to you? It should be. As you're, as if, if this morning you are struggling with the heaviness of a burdened heart, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know from the scriptures that he is near, nearer than you think. And he's near to bring you Somewhere, bring you out of that burdened heart to a burning and a living realization that he is near. And he does that. It's the second thing we see in this text. He does that in verses 25 through 27 to these disciples, where burdened hearts become enlightened hearts or learning hearts. Now, notice what Jesus does. Here he is, and there's this this constant confusion. You're saying, "All, all right, already. Just tell them that it's you. This is so silly that they can't see it's you and it's you all along. Just tell them. Isn't that what you would do? Isn't that what what we want to do? We want to say, okay, it's the moment for undercover boss to reveal himself. It's me. It's Jesus. He doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He takes them to the scriptures. Is so important. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ suffer and then be raised? And what Jesus does is he gives them, you could say, the most epic Bible study of all time. Right? Isn't this a Bible study? You say, oh, I would love to have heard what Jesus said here. Have any of you thought that before? I mean, it has to just come to your realization that this, this was an amazing moment where Jesus, over these seven miles, is just unpacking the Bible in these, these, uh, these you know, amazing ways, starting with Moses and the prophets and working through them and unfolding who he is and how he's at the heart of the scriptures. What, what was it that Jesus said? We don't know for sure, but... We now look over the scriptures and see Jesus on every page. We can look at Genesis 3.15 and see that all along Jesus was that one who crushes the serpent's head, who crushes Satan. But how does he do that? Well, first he is struck by the serpent. His heel is 
is struck. And so there is a suffering involved as Christ crushes the serpent's head. And then we come further on to Abraham and Isaac and we see that Christ is there. As Abraham is told to sacrifice his son on the altar. And, and, and what does God do? He provides a sacrifice so that doesn't happen. A ram whose horns are caught in a thicket. A, a ram whose horns are in a crown of thorns, you could say. Jesus is there, provided by God as the great sacrifice for his people. And Jesus is in Exodus 12 as well. The great Passover where God passes over the uh, Israel and spares their firstborn. How? By taking the life of another firstborn. The firstborn of Egypt. Jesus is there. He's, he's being pointed to. And Jesus is in Isaiah 53. The great suffering servant who, who dies for the sins, not of his own, but of God's people. Jesus is in Zechariah 13, where Yahweh's right hand man is struck with a sword. To bring salvation to the people of God. And friends, the sketch I just gave you, it's just the beginning. Jesus is throughout the Old Testament. It's like, have you ever seen a detective map where, you know, seen in a movie where a detective is gathering all his evidences and he's got a map um, on a wall and he, he puts a picture here and a picture here and a picture here. And then he starts connecting threads right to the middle. Right. And it's all pointing to one thing. Well, that's what's happening with the Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament, all of it is pointing to one person. It's Jesus. It's like the picture in the middle of the detective map of the Bible is a cross and an empty tomb. It says, ah, that's where it all makes sense. The Christ must suffer and rise again. All along. The Bible was shouting it loud to all who would hear that it's all about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20, all promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He's the key, he's the golden key to unlock the Bible and to make sense of what it all is saying. He is the Savior and he redeems his people through suffering. It's a glorious reality. If you've ever reading the Bible, friends, you're saying, I just can't make sense of this. I can't make sense of this. A great question to ask is, what is God telling you about Jesus? How is he preparing the way for what Jesus is about to do? How is he pointing back to what Jesus did? That's a great question. It's not the only question we ask as we're studying the Bible. But if you miss that, ah. Oh, that's the key to unlock it all. It's exactly what the disciples need. Their burdened hearts need to become learning hearts, and they need to become learning hearts through Christ unfolding the scriptures for them. They needed to see the authentic Jesus, the real Jesus, not the Jesus of their imaginations, not who they thought he should be, not what they thought he should do, but Jesus as he is really presented from the scriptures. And to see that God's story is so much greater than they ever imagined. That it can include suffering. That suffering can be this key piece that leads onto glory. They needed to see this. That's what their foolish, stubborn hearts needed. And that's exactly what we need, friends. If you're here.
here this morning and you're feeling the burden and distance from God and you're saying, I don't get how what's going on in my life right now, how it fits within God's plan. You know what you need? You need to come to the scriptures prayerfully, slowly, but over time, you need to spend time in God's word. And so he gives you that corrective vision to see, ah, I don't understand everything, but, but I understand that God is doing something great in my life. He is just as he worked through suffering to bring glory through Christ's death and resurrection. So through the cross of Christ brought to bear in my own life, he is leading me following Jesus to glory. We need the word. We need the corrective vision so that we can see Jesus for who he really is, not what our doubts tell us he is. And all of this, as Jesus takes burning hearts and, and, and teaches them so that they're learning hearts, he's doing this so that all of this is pre- preparing for that wonderful moment where Jesus is really known to his people. That happens in verses 28 through 35. I, I love how it happens. How these disciples have been taking in all that Jesus is saying and they get to the point where Jesus says, all right, I guess it's time for us to part ways. They say, well, wait a minute. There's something about him. There's something about Jesus that doesn't feel like a stranger anymore. They want him to be close. They want him to be near. They need him and they're starting to see that. And so they say, would you come to our house Would you come for dinner? Jesus agrees. And it's over that meal that something amazing happens, that Jesus, who was a stranger to them and who became a teacher to them and who was invited as a guest to them, now becomes the host. That's what's happened over the course of this journey. From the first mile to the seventh mile, what happened? Jesus moved from stranger to host so that now he's the one at the head of the table serving them and feeding them. It's amazing. And it's at that moment that their eyes are opened, their spiritual cataracts that are over their eyes are removed so that they say, it's him. Jesus is real. He's alive. He really has risen from the dead. And that makes all the difference for me. And as Jesus suddenly disappears uh, from their sight, what, what happens? They say, as he was teaching us, were not our hearts burning as he's unlocked the scripture? It's beautiful. From burdened hearts to burning hearts. Jesus reveals himself to these disciples. We have to wonder, how can that be true of me today? How can I move from a burdened heart or or even from a heart that's learning of the scriptures and and come to have that heart that's on fire for Jesus and and just alive and burning with with desire for him? How How does that happen? This scripture tells us how, because at this point, I think you've realized that this is our journey too. all of this is told to us, 
Not so we would just hear what happened to Cleopas and his companion, but that we would see, ah. Jesus walks with us today too. And for just a closer walk with him, we need what these disciples needed. First of all, you've already heard this, but let me repeat it. We need to hear the preached word. We need to hear God's word. Because it's the words of Jesus in Scripture that guide us, and all of Scripture is bringing him to us. You notice, the disciples, they didn't need some crazy mountaintop experience where Jesus would suddenly um, you know, say, hey, it's me. What did they need? They needed the Scriptures. They needed to see Jesus in his word. It's what we need too. We need to hear the voice of Jesus correcting us and challenging us. And we need the Holy Spirit uh, through the scriptures guiding us to see Jesus in all of the Bible. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, that scripture or preaching of the word is logic on fire. Logic on fire. It's when we hear the scriptures uh, spoken to us What are we hearing? We're hearing Jesus through um, an appointed representative taking the logic of the Bible, all of it pointing to him, and bringing it in this fiery beauty to our hearts. That's what the preached word is about. And so, friends, if if you feel yourself on a Sunday morning saying, well, what what I need most this morning, I think I just, you know, I, I need to catch a break. What I need most this morning is kind of get ready for uh, the football game. There's a lot to get ready for or whatever. You you need to to hear what you need most on the day of God's um, people gathering. You need to hear the preached word. You need to hear Jesus speaking to your heart, igniting that fire in your soul. We also need to receive the sacraments. We need the Lord's Supper. You might have noticed in this passage that as Jesus is serving up this meal, as he becomes the host, he uses some some really familiar words. He says he broke, he blessed, he gave. And all of this is making us think back just, just to two chapters earlier where Jesus did the same thing when he instituted the Lord's Supper. I think this is no mistake. What is Jesus showing us? He's showing us That just as we need to hear that preached word, we also need to see the word visibly presented to us. You know that that's what's happening when the Lord's Supper is is served every Sunday? It's the gospel pictured, visibly pictured to us. It's the same grace that we receive as the word is preached, but it is presented to us in this different kind of way, again, to ignite the fire in our souls. You, know, you can think of how, how dads, how, how do you fathers tell your kids that you love them? You could say, I love you. But you could also bend down, and get close to your son, your daughter, pull them close, give them a hug. Moms, you can do that too. That's how, two different ways to say I love you. You can say, I love you. Or you can get down close and hug your little ones. This is what's happening in the gospel. God not only 
says to believers, I love you. And the preaching of the word, he also visibly gives us you know, a, a hug, a gift, a, a physical token of his love through the Lord's Supper, through baptism. And as he does that, what is he doing? He is stoking a fire in the souls of his believers so that, you know, when we come with burdened hearts, hearts that are slow to believe all that he has spoken, we say, ah, if that's who God really is for me, and that's, that's what, what he says to me, I've got some changing to do, and, and he's much more glorious than I ever believed he was. We need to hear the preached word. We need to receive the sacraments. And friends, we need to meet Jesus. You see, you can go through all the motions of worship and Bible study. You can, you can come every Lord's Day and receive communion uh, without missing a single streak. And, and you can go to a Bible study that, that just fills your mind with all sort of knowledge. But friends, what we need is we need to ask God to do what, what he did to these disciples. We need to say, God... If all of this just goes into my, my head, if all of these are just memories that bounce around in my mind, then, then it hasn't reached my heart. So Jesus, I need you to remove the blindness of, of, that hangs over my soul. I need you to take away the cataracts that are on my eyes so that I see Jesus and that I come to him and say, Jesus, be that host that feeds me from your word, that nourishes me every step along the way. We need God to to use all of those means that he's put before us to cause us to fellowship with the risen Jesus Christ. Only then will our burdened hearts become burning hearts. Are you ready to ask God to do that to you this morning? Christ is risen. Christ is near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how hard it is when our souls are burdened by suffering uh, to accept that this is part of your grand narrative, just as it was part of Jesus's grand narrative that he would suffer and he would die, but, but then he would rise again from the dead and that all of this was foretold in the scriptures and that it's the key to understanding it all. Lord, may it also be the key to understanding how Jesus wants us to walk and be close to him. May we really believe he was risen from the dead. and May we really believe that this has everything to say about our lives today. Lord, we pray that you would do that and take our burdened hearts and turn them into burning hearts, burning hearts filled with your word and nourished by Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.